I grew up in a small rural community at that time of Simpsonville, South Carolina. And we had a small cattle farm, and I mean really small because we didn't produce cows for beef, but we would raise cattle that you would take and round to all the county fairs and the state fairs, and we had the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat and the bridles and the, the staff, and we would walk them around in a cattle show, and, and that meant that when we went to the cattle fair, normally the cattle shows, you would see if you ever go to a county fair or a state fair, you can go to the county, you can go to the cow barns, the animal barns, and you can see the animals there, but the show normally has been earlier in the day and probably earlier in the week at the start of the, the fair because the animals are at their best as they come from your farm uh, to the state fairground, but the longer they stay there, it's harder to, to keep them groomed and, and everything else. But anyway, we were always there while they were setting up the midway. We were always there. We got to get out of school, which was a big hooray. We would go, for instance, to the state fair in Columbia, and we would be there while they're setting up the midway and the carnival rides. And one of the things that we did is we would build relationships with the carnies, as it were, because we were working and they were working, so to speak. And they would let us go to the rides free, or they would let us go through exhibits without a price, without a ticket. And one of my favorite was the, the, the carnival, uh, the House of Mirrors. And you're familiar with the House of Mirrors that normally everything's blacked out, but the, the mirrors, as I would find out by the carnies, they're strategically placed to distort your image. That's what they're after is they want you to look into that mirror and they want you to see yourself in a different way. They want you to have a real thin midsection or they want you to have a real you know, wide midsection and they want you to have a real thin midsection if you don't have one already. And they want you to have a real wide one if you don't have a real wide one already. But they would strategically place them. And then it was really fun to go past through that hall of mirrors and to see, oh, I'm too thin here, and oh, I'm too fat here, and oh, I'm way tall, and oh, I'm really short. And then to go into the room that was just covered with mirrors, and I would see about eight of me. And I would say, oh, wow, cool. What would it be like to have eight of me? I wouldn't need anybody then. Well, I could be... One fill for this, and one fill for that, and one fill for this. And normally that room, I also got to see if my hair was out of place or if, if something was askew because that tended to be the real you, but you were a lot more of you than you realized. William James says this, when two people meet, they're actually six people. There is the person that you think the other person is. And so that person is looking at you, and they think they know what you are. And then there is the person that you think that they think you are. And then there is the real you. So there's who you think that person is, and then there's in your mind who you think that person thinks that you are, and then inside of you, each one of you has a real you. How can you get to that real you meeting with another real person? 
And it's a challenge because there are cultural mirrors that tell us what you're supposed to be like. Many women struggle with a culture that tells them what they're supposed to look like. Many men struggle in a culture that holds before them a mirror of what success is supposed to look like. And we look at that mirror and we judge ourselves or we strive after it. Many of us struggle in our walk with God called communion or intimacy with God spiritual intimacy with God because it's not a real me that is meeting with God and God's design is not for us to have a privatized spiritual life because just walking with Jesus me and Jesus make everything right I don't need a church full of hypocrites how many times have I heard that You know what? I'm a spiritual person. In fact, I would go so far as to say I'm a Christian. You know, I read the Bible and I pray. I love Jesus. I know that I'm forgiven of my sin. I just don't want anything to do with other Christians. They're toxic. They're unhealthy. I just, I don't like, I don't want for community. But God says, in the text that we're getting ready to read, God says that your walk with Him Your intimacy with Him is dependent and it requires community or you'll never discover the real self. You'll only find distortions. You will not be able to... You need... In other words, your spiritual life and your spiritual growth is a community project. If you want a theme for this morning, it would be this. Real communion with God. Real intimacy with God. And that means the the power to overcome huge difficulties and trials and, and temptation. Real communion with God requires real community. That's it. Stand for the reading of God's Word. And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This 
is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Community is God's idea. And we're going to look at community and see two significant things this morning. In this text, I want to show you that the community is made up of newbies. 3,000 newborn, spiritually newborn individuals, 3,000 were added that day at the end of one sermon to the approximate 120 of Christ's followers, disciples, that were meeting in, in and about the upper room. 120 disciples had just said goodbye, as it were, to an ascended Christ. The Holy Spirit has now come upon them. They're beginning now to, to timidly, I think, go out and have encounters. Peter preaches a sermon, and that day 3,000 new converts are added. So now it's 3,120 that are forming a community, and it's God's idea. But 3,000 of them are newbies. Secondly, I want you to see that in this community, it was intentionally intrusive. Intentionally intrusive. If you miss most of what I say this morning, most preachers, by the way, we pray for one takeaway. We don't know what the takeaway is going to be for you. You know, it could be that the air conditions broke, or it could be that, you know, you know, it, I'm having to sit somewhere this morning. I didn't normally sit. It could be something like that, unintentional takeaway. But if I could give you encouragement for one takeaway this morning, it would be this. Invite someone into your life in such a manner. Invite them into your life that you give them permission to know of the things that you struggle with. Invite someone else into your life to know your difficulties. And it's not just a gripe session, but you give permission to someone to tell you when you've got stuff on the side of your mouth, when you've got a uh, spiritual booger hanging out your nose, that they can say that. And I did it to be dramatic and wake some of you guys up. But, you know, in counseling, in counseling, the number one thing, I always ask this. I don't care how big a crisis it is, I always ask this question. Do you have anybody else in your life? Do you have a good friend? Do you have a community? Do you have a church? And it's a minority of people that say yes. Generally, the response is, I have nobody in my life. And you're the first person that I'm actually giving a window in to see my problems, my addictions, my temptations, my, as it were, my sin pattern. And you will find that you won't give that invitation for that kind of intrusion unless the other person has made themselves vulnerable to do the same. That's why sometimes I think we freak people out at Two Rivers because it's almost like I don't have a sense of shame because it's like you leave and it's like, man, I know what that guy's struggling with. But it's intentional. It's saying, I need you. I'm not trying to shock you with my sins and my struggles, and I have them. What I'm saying is I need you. If I'm going to be real, if I'm going to be real with God, I need a community. 
I need a community that will help me to see my soul's blind spots. Because your identity this morning, if you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian this morning, just listen in, and I've got something to say to you at the end of this morning's message. But if you're a Christian, your identity is twofold. You're a sinner and you're a saint. You're a sinner and you're a saint. Look at this, and you need community to keep those two in balance. If one of those gets out of balance, it's like being in the hall of mirrors. You're like Uriah Heat. Oh, unworthy, unworthy. I'm such a sinner, full of self-pity. Everything happens to me, and it should happen to me. I'm Eeyore. How distorted is that? For you, you need a community to come along, someone that you've invited in your life. You build, you're building community with them. And at Two Rivers, I'd like to think that there are lots of somebodies that come into your life and say, but you're also a saint. Your sins are forgiven. He looks at you through the prism of Jesus Christ and His life and His death, and He sees a son. He sees a beautiful daughter. Catch a sense of His beauty and live in freedom. But then, there's the saint. And the distortion there is... I'm actually pretty good. Excuse me. You know, I, when it comes to confessing sin, I really struggle. I guess I should confess that I don't have anything to confess. <laughs> because what you do is you begin to look around at other people and you say, now there's a sinner. That, 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 I can show you at Two Rivers some sinners. And I don't look, my, my stuff is small compared to that. Well, watch out because I'm working on a new sermon series. I'm still out of a sermon series, but this is Community Sunday. So traditionally, I go to Acts 2. But if I can, next week, I'm going to start to look at acceptable sins, respectable sins. Man, it's probably going to be Scottish evangelism. The elders have been meeting to talk about attendance and seating, and Scottish evangelism means you preach such hard sermons, you drive people away. Empties up a few seats. But look at this congregation. It says here, that Peter has said in verse 39, this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Think sojourner. Think foreigner. Think someone who is without community. And he says that's how big this promise is. And what is the promise? If you went back to Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, the Lord said to Abram, I will make, chapter 12, Genesis, verse 2 and 3, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And there's a, in the language here, sometimes the you is Abram, but most of the times the you is y'all. I'm going to bless y'all. I'm going to bless y'all. Anybody that dishonors y'all, I'm going to dishonor. Anybody that touches you is touching my folks, and I'm going to hurt them. Anybody that honors you, I'm going to bless them. But it's y'all, and it's not just Jesus and me. It's a community. So when Peter is preaching, he is preaching specifically the majority of folks here, we believe, commentators tell us, are Jewish, which is really interesting. 
The majority of this 3,000 are Jewish. Now, these are those that are traditionally, they get community by saying, we are God's chosen people. But now, they see Gentiles next to them, those that are not circumcised, those that are not clean, those that need washing. To, they need baptism. See, Jewish people didn't get baptism initially. That was for dirty Gentiles that was not for holy set apart God's people and here he says it's for y'all Jews Gentiles young old children and even people that are not yet here people that are on their own out there God's precious promise his plan his design is nation building people gathering it's community why am I why am I emphasizing this? Because some of you right now still don't believe me. Some of you say, I can worship in community, but getting plugged into community groups or going to community functions like picnics and barbecues or being a part of a ministry team like the worship team or the mercy team that puts you in community with other things, meeting with small group Bible studies, men's groups, women's groups, meeting with one-on-one -on -one or dyads or triad discipleship I don't really need that I don't have time for that I've got work and I've got church on Sunday morning I don't really need community yes you do I want to challenge you to say that if there's an area of your life right now a temptation or an area that you just constantly struggle with that you're going to continue to struggle with that apart from community because your communion with God you're growing more and more to be like Jesus requires community. Your communion is a community project, and that's by God's design. The Jews couldn't say, well, we don't want to be with them. Nope. He said, you've got to be baptized. Can you imagine what it would be like to see that many newbies? Imagine. Because we're, you know, we're right around that 120 figure when we're in attendance. Can you imagine 3,000 people? That's almost the population here, the immediate population of Park Circle. Can you imagine if all of a sudden 3,000 people after a sermon today, you know, came in here? Can you imagine the, the messes? I mean, parents really understand. If you've got a, an infant to two years old, you can imagine, you know, newborns, you can imagine what the messes that they make. You know, but we don't really see a lot of messes. But what we see is that those people got baptized within a relatively short amount of time. And what we're told is, is that around Jerusalem there were a lot of wading pools, washing pools, ceremonial pools, kind of like a bunch of jacuzzis all over the place. And 3,000, 3,000 people were baptized. There'd be a, a little gaggle over here and a little clutch over here, and they were glad to do it. They were excited to do it. And baptism meant that they were included in the community. And baptism was saying, I'm a sinner. And it doesn't matter my heritage. It doesn't matter how good a life I've lived. And it doesn't matter how much better I am than that Gentile over there. I'm getting baptized because I'm a sinner. Peter said, repent and be baptized. I'm turning. I'm turning. And I'm turning with a community that sees its sin too. I'm not joining a bunch of goody goods. I am joining people that they understand that they're sinners. And they will keep me. They'll keep me reminded. Not because there's a spiritual hit squad going on, 
but they'll keep me reminded that I'm a sinner, but I'm also forgiven. And we need a community to help us hold those two IDs in place. I'm a sinner, but I'm also a saint. Um, second thing that I want you to see, and here I'm going to just tick down a couple of things by points of application, because I really do think that at Two Rivers that we have koinonia, that we have community. And look at the character, but there's areas that we can tighten up, as it were. There are areas that we continue to grow to be the community that God designs us to be. And if you look here in the scriptures, he tells us in verse 42 that they were committed, they were devoted to a number of things. They were devoted to learning, loving, worshiping, witnessing. Um, I told you earlier that the word for this fellowship is koinonia. And we see in 1 John... 1 John, 1 chapter, verse 3, the springhead. He says there that the life was made manifest and we have seen it. That is life in Christ. And we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now he points to a cosmic reality to say that not even Jesus is alone. Not even Jesus is is alone in his communion with God the Father. That even Jesus is in community. There's God the Father, there's the Holy Spirit, and there's Jesus, and they're so close to appear as one. And he says, that's the plan. Do you have that community here? So, so inclusive of one another that you could actually be called brother and sister in Christ. You could actually be and wear proudly the title of son and daughter of God the Father Most High and we all have him as our father and we're all in community with one another. Here it says they were devoted to that. They might not have known a lot of theology at this point but they understood, they understood that their walk with God was going to require community and they understood that it was God's idea to take the isolated and to place them in the community so that they could be real, so that they could be healed, so that they could become whole and so that they could do that with one another. In other words, and it's not a push for church membership uh, this morning, but God never saves anyone through the Messiah without putting them in the Messiah's community. Never. He never, now you could probably make a case for the thief on the cross, but if the thief on the cross could have come down after coming to know faith in Christ, repenting and coming to know faith in Christ, he would have gone down into the disciples, and it would have been 121 disciples. You're not made to walk with God alone because it's not his idea. And you're just going to find that there's distortions that are all going on. We need one another and community, and they were devoted to that, and they were devoted to include the foreigner and the sojourner in their fellowship. When they had any newcomer in their group, that newcomer would sense this is a beautiful family. Look how they share with one another. They're not critical of one another's sins, but they encourage one another. They encourage one another in their struggles, and yet at the same time. While they're humbled, 
by their sin, they're bold as a lion because of their righteousness in Christ. Sinner, saint, in balance, in community. We see that they were learning. They weren't anti-intellectual. They didn't throw out the preachers. They depended upon the preachers. They depended upon the teachers. And they were learning. They were people, and you're going to find this at Two Rivers, if the Holy Spirit, God, is in our midst, because that's His plan for community, is that in community He dwells. If the Holy Spirit is there, then His Word is there. That we become people who are constantly growing. We're not when we address one another, we don't address one another's sin, or we don't address one another's sonship, as it were, with our own words. We become, like that ancient people, we become people of the book. We become people of God's word. We listen to Daddy speak, and he does speak from his word. And we need that. You know, I... I wrote a paper years ago that actually turned into a book, and you'd never get it. You, you can't buy it. You can't order it. I think they, because of the class requirement, there was like three copies. Um, I have one. It's a dusty old manual. But it was talking about what does discipleship look like? What does mentoring look like in Christianity? And you know what I boiled it all down to? Spiritual friendship. Discipleship is where we grow more and more like Jesus. And you can't get there by yourself. It takes a community, as I say again. And I looked for an example in spiritual friendships where people have grown intimate with God and they, as it were, have the mind of Christ and speak God's words to one another. And they travel like pilgrims together in community and face life's travails and temptations together. I was called because of the boundaries of this paper to have some type of, you know, historical literature out of various periods and the Puritans were one of the periods that I had to have historical literature to evidence or illustrate what I was talking about. And I picked Pilgrim's Progress. Christian has come to the end of his life as a pilgrim. And he has journeyed far with another character man called Hopeful. And Hopeful has always been just that. But Christian at times has struggled in his walk, particularly if he's ever separated from a traveling companion. But he's come to the end of the line and there is one final difficulty, a river between him and the celestial shore of heaven. Christian is starting to go under, and he's starting to cry out. Hopeful said, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom. It's good. Christian said, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have surrounded me. I will not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And then a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian. He could not see ahead. And here, in a great measure, he lost all of his senses. Distortion. He could not remember or talk about any of the sweet refreshments he had had in his pilgrimage. And all of the words tended to discover that he had a horror in his mind, in his heart, and feared that he would die in that river and never obtain entrance at the gate. 
They that stood by perceived that he was greatly troubled. Hopeful did everything he could to keep his brother's head above the water. Sometimes it would go down. And then after a while, he'd come up as if half dead. Hopeful tried to comfort him. Brother, I see the gate. Brother, there are men standing to receive us. And Christian would answer, It's you. It's you that they're waiting for. You've been hopeful ever since I knew you. But so have you, he said to Christian. Ah, brother, Christian said, Surely if I was right, then Christ would rise to help me. But he's brought me thus far, and now he's left me because of my sin. Hopeful. Do you not remember, and can I not but shore you up with these words, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was as still as a stone until they crossed over. And Christian eventually found the ground to stand on, and the rest of the river was shallow, and then they crossed over. What if there was no hopeful for Christian? What if, like Christian, how do you deal with those points to say, in this difficulty I believe that God's angry with me because of my sin. I'm getting what I deserve. What if you don't have intimacy with another person in community that can say, God doesn't operate like that. This is but a trial to test you and to mold you and to craft you to be the son and daughter that you are, but it's not punishment from God. It may be even discipline, but it's not punishment. If not, then you live with a distortion, even while in community, without being the real you in communion with God, and you begin to distort your image of God as well. Well, I've got to conclude, but... As you look down there, there are other aspects. It tells us that they were a very loving community toward one another. And I believe that that means that they could all look at one another and say, if you're a follower in Christ, you're a sinner and you're a saint, even as I'm a sinner and a saint. If I get out of distortion and I just feel like I'm more the saint and you're more the sinner, you can tell. You can tell that the relationship and even my understanding of God and my communion with God is going, to, is, be, is going to be strained. But we need one another to do that, and in that, we're able to be truth-tellers to one another, all the while truly loving one another. And it was a community that was devoted to worship, both in the temple. They didn't throw the institutional church overboard. They continued to meet there. But they also broke bread in their home. You couldn't celebrate, and I believe it was the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this every Sunday here. I believe that they were pointing to the Lord's Supper that they celebrated more frequently than not. They were were celebrating again. And what were they doing? They were celebrating in community so that every time they broke the bread and and they ate it and they drank the cup, they did it in community. They didn't eat alone. And they were able to say that we're coming to this table and we're worshiping Him who forgave a sinner and who promises a banquet set with sons and daughters one time in the future. Every one of us, Jew and Gentile, young and old, all those who have turned from a crooked generation that is no community, full of distortions, and been received, been received in the new community of faith in Christ.
this morning this table is set for us to celebrate as a community. And you might this morning say, well, this is interesting. I've had a good time here, but I'm not so sure. I'm spiritual, but I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a Christian. Well, this is the part of the service where I would ask that you observe